0: Chapter 4, the indestructible life in Christ, more than this physical life. Jesus taught his disciples and anyone who would listen that life is more than food and the body more than clothing. He taught them not to worry about their lives as to what they will eat or what they will drink or what they will wear. Are you serious, Jesus? How can life be more than the basic commodities that every human being needs to survive? Food, water, and clothing. If we don't have these things, we will die. But here Jesus is saying not to worry about these things. Matthew 6, 25. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? What is this life that Jesus speaks of that is more than food and clothing? And where do we find this life? What is this life that is more than the physical? What is this life that is more than the physical necessities to life on earth? This is what this chapter is dedicated to, to describe the life that Jesus came to birth, form, and establish in his church. Jesus came to make it possible for all his people to come into and live from an indestructible life in him. Jesus came to make this way possible by the death and resurrection of his life and the Holy Spirit has been given the role of continuing this process by leading us into truth. I suggest that this is a major reason Jesus said, it is better for you if I go. John 1 verse 4 says, in him was life and the life was the light of men. Did we capture this truth? In Jesus and Jesus alone is their life. And his life is to be the light within us. We will only be the light of the world to the revealed measure of the Christ that lives within us. There is no life outside of Christ. Everything outside of Christ is temporal and futile and is perishing. David said in Psalms 51.6, Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being, and in the hidden part you will make me know wisdom. This continuous process of having living mana revealed in our innermost being will have this indestructible life in Christ formed and built within us. The church is to come into and have form within her this indestructible life in Christ and to live her life from this position in the spirit. This life is beyond the physical. It has its anchor and foundation firmly established in another source of life. Its food source is different. Its water source is different. Its clothing source is different. This life is anchored in the realm of the spirit. This indestructible life is living from and for something completely foreign to all who focus is on their own lives. This indestructible life is so beyond the physical realm that nothing in the physical can touch it. The physical has been defeated. The ultimate expression of the physical being defeated is physical death. And this was defeated by Christ at the cross. Acts 2, 23-24. This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty one to 55 Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will all be changed. For this imperishable must put on the imperishable and this mortal must put on the immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality. Then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The power outworking of this indestructible life. The indestructible life in Christ has its innermost being anchored and centered in these passages. They have come to life, and the power of these passages caused this indestructible life to be formed within the church. These promises have to be believed, accepted, and received through the power of the Spirit by God's people if we are to live from this new life. Neither the physical nor anything of the physical can touch this life. No cancer, no infirmity, no sickness, no disease, not even physical death itself can touch this life being formed and established in us because its roots are not in this physical realm. This is what freedom in Christ looks like. Proverbs 18, verse 14. The spirit of a man can endure his sickness, but as for a broken spirit, who can bear it? Look at what this passage says. The spirit of a man can endure sickness because this indestructible life I'm describing is of the spirit. A broken spirit is the one that can endure, cannot endure these things. The Bible says love endures all things. The more we know him, love, for who he truly is within us, the more we not only endure these physical trials, but we overcome them. When I say we overcome them, I don't mean we automatically receive a physical healing. We may, in fact, not receive a physical healing at all, and the sickness may even kill our physical body. But we have still overcome and demonstrated this incredible life for all to see through our physical sickness. Proverbs 20, 27 says, The spirit of a man is the lamp of the Lord, searching all the innermost parts of his being. This indestructible life in the Spirit has an eternal perspective. One living from this life sees everything through a completely different lens and lives differently because of it. Living from this eternal perspective will shape how one sees God and His purposes. It will define one's values and priorities, how one views the letting go of one's life, how they see trials, tribulations and sufferings. Living from this indestructible life enables one to understand God's ways which are vastly different from those of the world's. God warned Noah about things that were unseen, and Noah put those things into practice which God has spoken to him about. Noah built an ark because he was a man of faith. Having biblical faith means that one has a conviction of things not seen, and therefore lives from the realm of the unseen. 2 Corinthians four sixteen to 18 Therefore we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary, light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory, far beyond all comparison, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Those living the indestructible life see an eternal meaning and purpose in suffering for Christ. The indestructible life puts everything into right order, position, and perspective. So instead of being taken out by trials, tribulations, and challenges, people are able to overcome them. We are able to see the purpose of God in these things, and our commitment to walk through all of them forms a greater maturity within us. Anchored in the eternal, this life has its peace, joy, and hope firmly established and set in an eternal realm and culture, and makes all its decisions from this place. Romans fifteen thirteen. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. This promise for us is incredible, to be filled with a peace that guards our hearts and minds and surpasses all comprehension or understanding. Philippians 4, 6 and 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This peace isn't of the earth, nor has its beginnings or foundations in the earth. This peace comes from an eternal place. This peace comes from another kingdom to the one we all live in. This peace comes from a spiritual domain, otherwise known as the kingdom of God, which Jesus said is within us. Do we have a reference point for this peace operating in and from us because this indestructible life, the kingdom, is being formed and established within us? What about joy? Do we have his joy flowing in and from us because this indestructible life is being formed and established within us? I'm not talking about human emotions or a sense of being happy. I'm referring to a joy that goes beyond circumstance, situation, trial, or tribulation. I'm referring to a joy that stands up And it's counted when the storms of life come crashing in. This joy speaks silently but loudly to those situations and circumstances. And it directs a person's path through these hardships, trials, and tests. Once again, this joy is not of the world or of the earth. Like peace, its roots and foundations are not established in the earth. This joy comes from the eternal place. This joy comes from another kingdom to the one we all live in. John fifteen ten 10-11 If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Notice who this joy comes from. This peace and joy comes from Christ, an eternal life source. Jesus was the representation of this eternal place. Hence, when Christ is being formed within us, we have the substance, the life of this eternal place being birthed within us. We are no longer people of the temple who are looking and dieting on food from the temple or the earth. Galatians 4.19 My children, with whom I am in labor again until Christ is formed in you. We have become people of the eternal and receive our food source from the eternal realm, seeing and receiving life from this realm that lasts forever. The Bible says for the joy that was set before him, Jesus was able to go to the cross. The joy that was in him and the joy that was set before him determined how Jesus walked out all his days on earth. This indestructible life in Christ abounds in hope. Why? Because this life believes all things are possible in the God of hope. Believing in the God of hope is the key to receiving from the God of hope, receiving his joy and his peace in you. This incredible life has its hope set on the future rather than the now, and it is the living reality of this future that empowers this life now. Many have given their very lives and considered an honor to give their lives for the sake of Jesus Christ. Seeing his purposes established become their priority for living, not because of the temporal things, but because of receiving eternal things. 1 Corinthians fifteen nineteen. For if we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are all of men, most to be pitied. If our hope is set in and on the temporal things, then we will never come into this indestructible life in Christ. We will find ourselves running from the very things God allows to shape and birth His life within us. Jesus modeled this life for us. Jesus is our example of this indestructible life that we are to come into. As previously mentioned, here's the perfect example of what a son looks like, thinks like, sees like, hears like, and acts like. And here's the pattern that we are to imitate. 1 John 4, 17, because as he is, so also are we in this world. Hebrews 7, verse 15 to 17, and this is clearer still. If another priest arises to the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become such not on the basis of a law of physical requirement, but according to the power of an indestructible life. For it is attested of him. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Jesus was from the order or the priesthood of Melchizedek. This priesthood was not established on the basis of a law or a physical requirement but it was established in accordance to the power of an indestructible life. This priesthood is and has been established on the power of God, and this power takes what is dead and brings it to life. The same power that raised Jesus from the grave after he was brutally killed is the same power that this indestructible life is built upon. It is this power that is to be operating in the lives of God's people, so we too can live and have formed within us this indestructible life in Christ. Paul said, I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to experience and have a reference point for the power that raised Jesus from the grave, the power that defeated death, the power that catapults someone who is living from the flesh into living from the spirit. Paul had a reference point for this power because he experienced it firsthand. And he was fully aware of the life that was now being formed within him because of this power. He knew his old life well, and he knew where it had got him. He had a reference point for it, and he knew the life he was living was rubbish compared to this new life. He knew that he was operating under a flesh model. All that learning, all that devotion, all that commitment, all that modification through the flesh. Paul knew a brand new life, an indestructible life was birth and being birthed within him because of the power of God. I heard this saying recently, which I believe many of God's people need to be apprehended and arrested by. God did not come to make bad people good, but to make dead people alive. God didn't give His Son's life for the modification of people's lives, but for the birthing of a brand new life in His Son, a life that is indestructible, built and formed on a substance that the flesh knows nothing about, nor has a reference point for. As God's children, we have been created to live from this position of an indestructible life because we are of the order of Christ and Christ is of the order of Melchizedek. This life is of the Spirit. We are called to live as a spiritual priesthood, and this spiritual priesthood lives from this indestructible position in Christ. 1 Peter 2, verse 4 and 5, And coming to him as to a living stone which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for the holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. The sad reality for the church, God's people, is that many of us have only scratched the surface of the life that we've been called to live from. We haven't yet come into the reality of the life that is attainable in Christ because we are still trying to live and control our own lives. How many of us have been apprehended and arrested by the scripture below? We say things like, yes, that's nice, and yes, it's true, but we are not apprehended, arrested, or stopped in our tracks by this living reality that is for us because we have no reference point for it and some don't even have a desire for it to be their reality. Hebrews 6, 17-20. In the same way, God, desiring even more to show to the heirs of the promise the unchangeableness of his purpose, interposed with an oath, that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have is an anchor for the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast and one which enters within the veil, where Jesus had entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. The scriptures are declaring a living reality for us as his people. Are we taking hold of the hope that is set before us? Do we have this hope as an anchor of our soul, a hope that is sure and steadfast, and one that enters within the veil? Consumed by our own lives. You may say, Now, Greg, settle down. Don't you think you are getting a little carried away with all these questions? We say things like, how on earth can this ever be my reality? Don't you know my life? I am married and have kids and a job, and then there are all the activities that go with all these things. My sport, my hobbies, my kids' sports and holidays, and then there is our home that needs looking after and upkeeping. I am so busy with life and keeping my life going that I don't have time to even consider anything else. Does this sound familiar to us at all? Is this in fact our reality? Am I describing our own lives? The problem with many of us today is that we are consumed with ourselves. Instead of seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness, we are seeking our own empires. And the building of these empires, our empires being our own lives. Our very lives are consuming our time, our energy, our focus, and then they hold our attention like nothing else. We don't even have an appetite for anything that is outside of our own lives. And this is nothing short of fatal. We fool ourselves into thinking we have all this time to get our lives in order. And tomorrow will be the day that we start turning our attention and focus towards him. We ask, doesn't God know there are so many things that I want to do with my life? And this is where all the problems start. What I want to do with my life. Our lives are but a vapour. We have no reference point for our lives being like a vapour, which can be here today and gone tomorrow. James four thirteen to 17 Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. You do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapour that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to one who knows what the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is a sin. This passage of Scripture is very confronting and in-your-face kind of passage. The words are very powerful, but what is more profoundly powerful is the meaning and the reality that is behind these words. We are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away? And to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is a sin? These are confronting truths that demand our attention. My hope is that you have just been arrested by the seriousness of these words and the reality that sits behind them. I want to take us back to the scripture we started with, where Jesus asked, Is not life more than food? and the body more than clothing. How do these words and the words we just read relate to one another? What relationship do they have with each other? Psalms 90 verse 12 comes to mind as I'm writing these very words. So teach us to number our days, that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. When was the last time we asked God to teach us to number our days? In other words, when did we last ask God to show us how fragile life actually is? When was the last time we asked God to stir in our hearts the seriousness of how our lives can be here today but gone tomorrow? As I'm writing this, I've just heard that Jonah Lomu, who's passed away at the very young age of 40, one of the greatest All Blacks ever, that's ever been, has passed away too early. His life has ended. We too don't know when our physical lives will end. That today could be the last day of our lives. When was the last time, if in fact there has been any time, when this has been our reality? So we are stirred to present a heart of wisdom before him. When was the last time you worried about the food you were going to eat and the clothes you were going to wear? This is not a Western world problem. We have food in abundance, and the only time we worry about clothing is when we are out of date with the fashion of the day. Come on, let's be honest. These things for us in the West don't even appear on our radar. We worry about having the latest iPhone or iPad. We worry about how we are going to afford to pay for the extra bits we spent on our overseas holiday. We worry about our Facebook profiles and keeping that all up to date, letting everyone know what we are up to. We worry about what others think of us. Will I be popular with people? We worry about what school our kids will go to and what kind of education they will receive. We worry about meeting Mr. or Miss Wright. We don't even have a reference point for life is more than food and clothing, which demonstrates how far away we are from the life Jesus calls us to come into and live from, called to live differently. Jesus calls us to live our lives from the same position he lived his life from. He calls us to live our lives from this indestructible position in him because we have died to the lust and the lure of all these temporal substances. He calls us to this indestructible life because this was His life and we are His followers. Unfortunately, as God's people, we have taken His truth, His word, His reality for us and shrunk it down to something that will fit inside our own ability to comprehend it. We have taken this incredible abundant feast of food and reduced it down to a crumb. The life we have been called and chosen to live is nothing short of glorious and radiant And yet so many of us as his followers are struggling each day just to survive. As I've already said, too many followers of Jesus today are consumed and overrun with the consumption of their own lives. Life is literally consuming God's people. And as his people, we are becoming less and less relevant to a world that so desperately needs us to be these people of this incredible, indestructible life, this life of hope. Do you remember the promise of Romans fifteen thirteen? We are to be a people who are bound in hope because we follow and live for the God of hope. The reality that we are able and completely capable to live and model the life of Christ is missed by many. Being able to live a life that walks without offense, even when reviled against is foreign to many in the body. Being able to be the substance of his love to others. When one is being persecuted by those closest to them is a reality we can live from. Being able to say, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do is a reality to be realized by the church. When we entrust ourselves to our Father, we become bulletproof from the flesh because Christ's life is formed within us and he has literally become our armor. The schemes of the enemy have no place to take root in our lives. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me because this becomes our reality and the gates of Hades will not overpower this church, this people. Christ is our armour and because Christ in us has become so literal, rather than some nice statement we throw around, we walk in and from this indestructible position. The word has become flesh, or in other words, the word has become living in us. A broken spirit is the key to receiving. This indestructible life is birthed, cultivated, and released within us the more we come to Him with a broken and contrite heart. This is the heart that God will not despise. God said to the sacrifices of God, our broken spirit. Have we ever taken the time to ask ourselves what the very first beatitude is on the great sermon on the mount and why? Why? In fact, this is the first B attitude. Is there a link between what David writes in Psalm fifty-one seventeen and Matthew five three? Psalm fifty-one seventeen: The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit; a broken and contrite heart, God will not despise. Matthew five verse three: Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I suggest that there is a massive correlation between these two passages. Where is this indestructible life in Christ found? It is birthed, formed, and established in a broken spirit. God is looking for a broken spirit. God is looking for someone who has come to the end of self. God is looking for a person and a people who have come to the end of their own strength, their own ability, their own thinking, their own ways of learning and accomplishing things. God looks for a vessel that has been emptied from the God of self so that he can start to build this indestructible life in and through. When I say a broken spirit, I don't necessarily mean that someone has had to have lived a life of devastation, where they've been a drud act or a homeless or have a horrendous upbringing or some horrendous things have happened to them to come to this place. Having a broken spirit means you have come to the point where you release and realize that you can't create life for yourself and that there is no life of any eternal value outside of Him. Your ability to build your own life is futile and a complete waste of time. You realize staying in control of your life is pointless because it keeps you in death and away from Him. God looks for a vessel whose heart has become broken and contrite. Because this is a heart that is surrendered and ready to allow God to be God and truly build His church the way He intends. Until we reach this point in our spiritual journey with the Lord, we will continually be offering up sacrifices and burnt offerings that the Lord is ultimately not pleased with, as David declares. Psalm fifty-one sixteen, For you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offerings. Jesus said the same thing to the Pharisees in Matthew nine eleven to thirteen when he was dining with many tax collectors and sinners in Matthew's house. Matthew nine eleven to thirteen when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, "Why is your teacher eating with the tax collectors and sinners?" But when Jesus heard this, he said, "It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means." I desire compassion and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus says, I desire a heart that is soft. I desire a heart that is broken and contrite, because out of that heart comes compassion, real love, and not just some religious ritual or practice that you keep thinking you are doing the right thing. Becoming humble in spirit starts at the crushing and breaking of our prideful hearts. And this is where we will find this indestructible life in Christ's birth. If we are not humble in spirit, then we will not be having this indestructible life in Christ being formed within us. Being humble in spirit is a prerequisite to this indestructible life in Christ being formed. Notice I said humble in spirit. True spiritual humility is completely different to fleshly humility. Fleshly humility is false humility, and this is a stench in Jesus' nostrils because it is rooted in pride and self righteousness. If I am being honest, I've seen more false humility in the body of Christ than I have true biblical humility. And of course, most of us believe we are in true biblical humility because we offer up sacrifices and burnt offerings to some degree. We praise, we serve, we give, we attend, and we share. We do all the things required of us, sacrifices and burnt offerings, and yet are we humble in spirit? Are our hearts far from him, even though by our actions we appear close? We may not be too much different to the Pharisees that Jesus addressed when he said, but go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice. The Beatitudes and the indestructible life are intertwined. The Beatitudes describe to us an inner realm and reality. There is nothing external about these Beatitudes, but the more this inner realm, the kingdom of God, is formed and established within us, we will find ourselves living differently. The outcome of having these Beatitudes, this indestructible life being formed within us, will be the demonstration of this new life. Notice it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Why is it blessed to be poor in spirit? The answer is very simple. The reason is the kingdom of heaven belongs to all those who are poor in spirit. What an incredible promise to have this incredible kingdom life being birthed and formed within us, which we now live our lives from. The Bible says in Romans fourteen seventeen that the kingdom of God is not about eating or drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is firstly the spiritual internal, invisible culture and value systems of God, the king's domain established in us. Let these words resonate in your mind. If the kingdom is in the church, God's people, as Jesus taught us in Luke 17 too, then how can the kingdom and the church be separate? For now they go hand in hand. Jesus is returning to establish his literal kingdom on the earth in his 1,000-year reign. And the bride, also, who have lived wholehearted lives of devotion to the groom, will play a role in seeing that kingdom administered. It is then that the church and the kingdom will be separated, but not beforehand. We confuse the powerful works of Christ that come through the church, healing, salvation, deliverance, and miracles, with the kingdom of God being established in a person. Jesus said to his disciples that some of them wouldn't see death before they see the kingdom. And at this, he revealed himself in his glory, his kingdom. Luke 9, 27 to 29. But I say to you truthfully, there are some of those standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Some eight days after these sayings, he took along Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face became different. And his clothing became white and gleaming. That same glory is to be in us. That same kingdom is to be fully established in us. We are called to be the light of the world and Christ in us is the hope of glory. I pray we will not be confused anymore and understand God's kingdom is to be built, formed and established in the church, God's people, and then through her. Remember the promise of Romans 15, 13, which said, May the God of hope fill us with all joy and peace. Does this sound like the kingdom of God being formed within us? Does this sound like the unshaken kingdom that Hebrews 12 speaks of? God's kingdom, which is to be in us and coming, cannot be shaken. Humility of spirit defines everything else. If we are not humble in spirit, then we are proud in spirit. And this will have a profound effect on whether God's kingdom is being established within us or not. Look at the scriptures below and ask yourself what you see. They clearly spell out for us how a spirit of pride will lead us to destruction and how humility releases life. Proverbs 18.12, before destruction, the heart of man is haughty, but humility goes before honor. Proverbs 11.2, when pride comes, then then comes dishonor. But with the humble is wisdom. Proverbs twenty two four. The reward of humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. The first beatitude of blessed are the poor in spirit defines all the other beatitudes within us. The first beatitude will lead us into being a people who mourn and who are gentle. We will be a people who hunger and thirst for righteousness. We will be merciful and pure in heart. We will be peacemakers and find ourselves being persecuted for him. The first beatitude is the key beatitude to coming into this indestructible life in Christ. It will be all those who allow this process of transformation to happen through the power of God's Spirit, who will find themselves being part of Jesus' kingdom when he is literally reigning on the earth. One of Paul's ultimate goals was to find himself reigning with Christ in the thousand-year reign. This was the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus that he was running to achieve in Christ. This is why we see Paul saying he wanted to know God and the power of his resurrection, having fellowship with his sufferings, being conformed to his death in order that he may obtain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul wanted to be part of the first resurrection because those who are part of the first resurrection will be the priests of God and of Christ who will reign with him for a thousand years. This is part of the macro purposes of God for his people. I hope by now we are capturing the magnitude of this position we are called to live from in Christ. We don't live toward victory, we live from it. We live from what Jesus accomplished on the cross. Revelation 20 verse 5 to 6. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these the second death has no power but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. Paul was living this indestructible life out while he was living on earth. He was a man who has surrendered to his father and considered himself dead to his will and purposes. Paul was wholeheartedly committed to his father's will and to see his father's will accomplished in and through him. Sounds a lot like Christ, doesn't it? Galatians 2.20 is just one passage that depicts Paul's heart and purpose for his life while he lived. I wonder if it is ours because the man did teach us to be imitators of him, just as he also was an imitator of Christ. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. Our sin doesn't disqualify us from receiving this life. What is incredible is that the sin and iniquity that's present in us doesn't disqualify us from coming into this indestructible life in Christ. What Jesus accomplished on the cross has made it possible for you and me to experience this life, even though we are aware of our shortcomings. What an amazing promise we have been given. Paul, once again, is an example to us of this reality. He taught us that he also did things that he didn't want to do, and things he wanted to do, he didn't seem to be able to do. Romans seven fourteen to 25 For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold into bondage to sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I'd like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do. But I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I am doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I find then the principle, principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, Paul describes the amazing battle that exists between the flesh and spirit and the war that rages between the two. Paul knew his old state while he also knew his position in Christ. Thanks be to Christ that although we too have this war raging in us, this doesn't disqualify us from finding and living from this indestructible position in him. Jesus goes to great lengths to teach us and to declare that he is the bread of life to all those who would listen and believe that those who eat and drink of him will never be hungry and never be thirsty. What is this truth? This promise that Jesus declares about himself and to all those who believe and receive him. It is the indestructible life in him that this chapter declares. My prayer and hope is that we as his people will discover this life and live from it today.